There's a particular song that comes to mind when I consider restarting Revelation, and particularly Revelation chapter 12. It's a, a song that at times we have sung with our children and our students because it features a really peppy tune, some hand motions that look like this, and a little bit of bouncing. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to do that. But the words of the song are really important, and quite frankly, they're a bit rare. Here are the words. I'm in a fight, not physical. I'm in a war, but not with this world. You are a light that's beautiful, and I want more. I want all that's yours. Joy unspeakable that won't go away. Just enough strength to live for today so I never have to worry what tomorrow will bring because my faith is on the solid rock. I'm counting on God. I'm counting on God. Say it with me. I'm counting on God. One of the reasons that Revelation is in our Bibles is because we need to be reminded that we're in a fight, not physical. We need to be reminded, church, that we're in a war and we have just enough strength, that's so good, just enough strength to live for today. Don't be borrowing tomorrow's troubles because you only have strength for today and our faith is on solid rock. Why? Because we're counting on, we're counting on God. I want you to think of a time in your life when you knew you were at war, like you felt it, gut-wrenching, high anxiety, lots of fear. Can you remember that time and testify how in that moment there was such a level of desperation? When you knew you were at war, a spiritual issue that you were wrestling with, did it not affect your prayer life? Did you not come with a sense of urgency to the scriptures, not just to have a quiet time? A quiet time, I'm putting on my armor. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting ready for battle. I gotta, I gotta be reminded of important spiritual truths, even how, it, how this, this wartime mentality affected your singing. This last week, our staff met for our annual prayer summit, and since about 2008, we've had a variety of, of prayer times, particularly at the beginning of the year. And you know, over the years, we've seen God do amazing things through the, that prayer time. In the early days, we, we saw him do things like restoring of marriages and even physical healing and adoptions that took place. There, there are children running around today at College Park and they are in the building precisely because they're answers to prayer. We saw pregnancies happen, marriages take place saw things that I would describe as a bit miraculous in those early days, but something in the last five years or so has shifted, and that is we've still seen those things happen, but at the same time, we've also witnessed terrible attacks from the enemy in the days before and the days after our praying. Like, really scary. So much so that when I woke up on Tuesday morning ready to lead our staff in prayer, I was a little sick to my stomach because I was anticipating the goodness of what God was going to do and I was also anticipating that the devil's gonna throw at us the kitchen sink again. And over the years, my posture has changed about that prayer meeting 
Because I think what has happened is the more serious we get about prayer, the more we understand the nature of the warfare, the more serious the enemy becomes about opposition. One of the reasons that tomorrow at noon we'll gather down again at the MLK, RFK, um, or Peace Memorial Park to pray about biblical unity in diversity is because the more we've leaned into this issue, the more I've become convinced there are deep, dark, spiritual forces at play in the world and in our country, and yes, in the lives of Christians, not wanting the church of Jesus Christ to look like heaven now. The enemy does not want that to happen. Doesn't want that to happen in your relationships. Doesn't want that to happen in the church. He wants to continue to have the church be divided along historical lines that do not honor the name of Jesus. So I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but I'd love to have you join us at noon down at Peace Memorial Park or just to pray or even right now to realize that we're in a, we're in a cosmic battle. That's the theme of the sermon today. At so many levels. And some of us feel this, right? We, we feel the cosmic battle. Some of us don't. And if I could be so bold, it's because the enemy's not afraid of your prayer life. He's not afraid of your witness. He likes you coasting. He likes you fitting in. He likes you staying under the radar. And if we're honest, you like it too. And so you step out and then you get hit and you're like, see, that's what happens. I go on the record and then I get opposed. That's the plan. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And what we see in the text today is Behind your life and behind mine, there's a world of cosmic battle that's taking place, and it's really important for us to understand this. In the text today, we're gonna see this cosmic battle unpacked. We see the nature of it, we're gonna see the battle, and we're gonna see the deliverance. That All of this is designed just to help us understand that, look, Christian, you're in a war, not physical. And the question is, to what extent do we count on God? If you're here today not yet a Christian, what I'm gonna to explain to you is what's happening behind the scenes of the whole world and how the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died and was raised again in order to provide the forgiveness of sins, is not just a religion, it's not just a philosophy, it's not just a way to think about life, it's a way that God wages war in the world. And there's a war even within your own soul about who you're gonna love and who you're gonna serve. And our hope and prayer is that you'd come to the conclusion that Jesus is your King and Savior and Lord. So a quick review. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Revelation. Just a few things. This is the 12th sermon in our series. I wanna remind you that this book is about the revelation of Fill in the blank, Jesus Christ, not the future. <laughs> the, yeah, it says things, some things about the future, but remember at the very beginning, I, I said to pay attention to the man behind the curtain, and the man behind the curtain is Jesus. This, this book reveals an ongoing conflict 
that's raging between heaven and earth, between Satan and God, between believers and unbelievers. It shows us a a world that is hostile. Revelation reveals the path of endurance. It shows us that there's this massive, bloody battle happening, and it shows us where things are actually headed in that battle. This book is a record of the revelation given to the Apostle John while he's on the island of Patmos. The book was written to strengthen him as well as to the churches to whom he wrote. In the first three chapters, we saw a vision of Jesus that was glorious. We get an introduction to the book of him who is and was and is to come. We hear letters to seven churches which are representative of all churches in every season of church history. In the second section, in chapters four through 11, we saw the victor, we saw the description of Jesus in whole new ways. We saw a throne room, a slain lamb. We saw seals that were opened and trumpets that were sounding, and we witnessed the plan of God unfolding. Today we start a third section, verses, or chapters 12, rather, through chapter 18, And these chapters are rather dark. They identify the rebellion that's taking place in the world, the war, the battle, the challenge. It's a a section of Revelation that shows us how dark and difficult life can be. And with every sermon, you're gonna hear a, a short testimony from someone like you heard already from Jill about someone who's leaning into the hardships of life but also is overcoming by the power of the Lamb. It shows us the deliverance of Christ our King. So let's explore this cosmic battle. First, notice the nature of the battle in verses one through eight. These verses help us understand the context of this cosmic conflict, or it helps us understand the kind of battle that we're talking about. Verse one begins with these words, a great sign appeared in heaven. This is a marker, an indicator, a signpost that what follows is a picture of something else. Remember that part of the way in which Revelation is confusing and yet also marvelous is the fact that it's apocalyptic literature, meaning that it reveals things, but it reveals things through symbols. It reveals things that are unseen, and those symbols at times are layered. We're gonna see this. The symbol's gonna expand and then contract, and part of the challenge of interpreting Revelation is understanding the nature of these symbols and what specifically they apply to and what specifically they don't apply to. So we have to constantly make decisions regarding how to interpret these symbols. So we see a first sign in heaven, and then verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven. So sign and sign, what are the two signs? The two signs are a woman and a dragon. Those are the two signs, a woman and a dragon. Verse one begins, this woman, notice the language, she's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So she's clothed with the sun, so her garments are so bright, John describes her as having the brightness of the sun. Her feet are on the moon, and on top of her head are 12 crowns. What else is the number 12 associated with? Well, it's associated with the 12 tribes of Israel, and so this is clearly a reference to Israel. Now in a moment, 
It's going to be specifically about Mary. So the symbol shifts over time, but we're told more about this woman in verse two. So she has this, this, this clothing of her son, moon under her feet, head with a crown of 12 stars, and notice she was pregnant. Pregnant. She's pregnant. This is a woman who is not just a little pregnant, like, oh, she's got a baby bump. No, this is like, she's really pregnant. We'll see in a moment. She's, she's in the middle of childbirth. And so what you need to realize is this is not a, a scene of a cute baby shower with gifts and really annoying games. Like, it's not that kind of moment. This isn't with all friends sitting around in nice flowery dresses saying, what was your pregnancy like? And what, do you, what was your favorite food? What cravings did you have? Oh, you're like, oh, that's not, this is not, I've never been to one of those, just so you know, that's what I imagine it's like. Actually, I was at one. I do, I do. It's burned in my frontal cortex memory. It was traumatic. Like, I just don't want to be here. But the gifts were amazing, right? So, yeah. So anyway, she's pregnant. That's not in the Bible. She's pregnant. And notice she's crying out in birth pains and in the agony of giving birth. So in our modern day OB wards, we have wonderful things like an epidural. And as a result, if you're in an OB unit and there is like, Every, if every woman on that OB floor is just crying out in agony, you might wonder, have, did, did they run out of epidurals or, or what? Now, granted, it's still difficult, still physically challenging, but, but I've been like in Togo, West Africa, where there are no epidurals, and been on an OB ward when a couple women were giving birth, and I was like, what, what's going on over there? And they're like, yeah, that's the sound of childbirth without medication. I just want you to get in your head the scene that John sees. This is a, a woman, and she's great with child, and she's crying out in birth pains. It, it's meant to be sort of a head-snapping moment where we see this glory, like you just saw her with all this glory, right? She's got this, these clothes that are shining like the sun, and she's got a moon that under, under her feet. She's got crowns on her head, and then the scene immediately includes this other thing, that she's writhing in the pains of birth. This helps us to understand the nature of Christianity in conflict. It is that there are moments of glory and moments of agony. There are moments of beauty and moments of misery. And you ought to expect, Christian, that your days are spent regularly. I can't believe how amazing this is. I can't believe how hard this is. This is incredible. This is awful. Like, that's what it means to be a Christian. There's this massive conflict. And then we see that this pregnant woman is not only a symbol of Israel in general, but she is a symbol of Mary in particular. The Old Testament prophets promised there was coming a deliverer through this Messiah. The prophet Micah told that there's coming this one, this child. And so the scene has the heightened drama of the coming deliverer. She's glorious and she's in pain. And of course, John's audience would know this is Jesus. And in an unusual twist of irony in the world, but not an unusual twist in the Bible, we see that the agony will produce a child who is the hope of the world. 
So that's the woman. And then there's another sign. There's a dragon. And verse three says, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads, seven diadems. So again, get this picture, a woman who is about ready to give birth in a vulnerable position, filled with agony, and there's this enormous dragon pacing around, waiting for her to give birth. This is not a comfortable scene. What's more, this great red dragon has seven heads, 10 horns, seven crowns. These crowns and heads and horns are all intended to communicate authority and victory and power. It's connected to, at the time, the Roman government. It's not meant just to be only about Rome, but the fact that the devil, and we'll see this next week, uses the very authoritarian structures within the human fabric of our societies in order to exert his influence and demonic power. We'll talk more about that next week. Verse four, it highlights that this dragon, its tail had swept a third of the stars of heaven. Many commentaries believe this to be a statement about a previous rebellion where a third of the angels followed Satan in rebellion. The scene becomes even more dramatic as it says, the dragon, notice these words, stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Just imagine how this lands on first century readers. The picture here is meant to be distressing, and it would have been easy to conclude, based upon what you could see, that it's extremely probable that there's no way this woman and this child are going to survive. Seven-headed dragons usually win against babies, unless you're the king of kings. In verse five, the woman gives birth to a male child. And then we hear this ringing statement coming right out of Psalm 2 and verse 9. Who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's not just a statement, that's a marker. About global dominion and power, it's this king and victor that we saw previously in our study of Revelation. And this, of course, is Jesus. And then what happens is the child is caught up to God and his throne. So while we've got this pacing dragon and this woman giving birth, suddenly the child is removed from the scene and is brought into heaven. And verse six, the woman then flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Some scholars believe this time period to be the second half of the tribulation, it could be that representative of either that time or that time representing something greater. Others take it to be more symbolic of the time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. The point of all of this is to realize that the nature of the cosmic battle that exists in the world is real, it's historic, and there's a divine plan to redeem the world. There's a power struggle taking place behind the scenes of our daily lives. 
that what we see in Revelation 12, the nature of this conflict, that heaven and hell are on a collision course. Last week, we talked about our theme for 2023, that being impact, change the world together one person at a time, and I said that Sundays matter. This day matters. This moment matters. What I'm saying matters. What we're singing matters. Why? Because heaven and hell right now are colliding together in this moment, asking you, what side are you on? Who do you believe in? Do you see the battle? Do you know the devil hates you? Do you believe Jesus is on the throne? Like all of those things. This is not just to make your life more comfortable. This is to remind you, What's going on in the world? I was watching a short documentary this week on a famous film composer. He was the one who composed the musical score for films like Gladiator. He was talking how a musical score sets the tone and the mood of what's happening in a film and what's to come. And I couldn't help think about this scene and then also think about where we just came from, celebrating Christmas and Advent. And you know, we sing songs like Silent Night. So this is the birth of Jesus, right? Holy Night. What comes next? All is calm, all is bright. Well, that's true at one level, that makes for a nice Christmas cards. I mean, no one like sends each other cards of women in labor with dragons on them. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and yet, we need to acknowledge that the coming of Jesus was not like all is calm, all is bright. It's more like the storming of the beaches of Normandy. A conflict is being set in motion. This is a divine invasion to rescue people. So let me just ask you, this week, have you felt or seen this conflict? Think back of your week. What, what, did, what, did, what happened to you that you just thought was just normal life kind of stuff? Temptations that came your way that have become so commonplace that they don't even seem that frightening anymore. Oh yeah, 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 that's awesome. What, what issues do does your calendar or your experience last week reveal how much in the battle you are? Anyone who was surprised last week at how real the devil can be? Part of the reason we have this in our Bible is to help us realize that we ought not be that surprised at how real the battle is. So that's the nature of it. Secondly, here's the battle. Verses seven through 12 is a text that looks back, I think. Now, war rose in heaven. I think this is designed to help explain what's been going on and to set even a broader framework. So if, the, if focus here, it's kind of coming back out. Now, war rose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Remember, Revelation doesn't operate on a timeline necessarily, and it seems as though this text somehow looks back, and here we have a war taking place, and here is Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. So I don't know what you have in your head about angels, but Michael is no fat little cherub floating on a cloud strumming a harp. He's more SEAL Team 6 than he is Precious Moments. Okay. 
I think when you see Michael, you're going to be like, whoa. You don't want Michael showing up at your door. Michael's a warrior. The devil is defeated, verse 8, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, so like at the garden, they're cast out, and the great dragon was thrown down. Now notice these descriptions. There's a reason why there are four names or adjectives given to Satan. It's, John wants you to know, this is who he is. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. If you have a friend that you introduce, or, or maybe somebody who you want to caution someone about getting to know, and you give them four adjectives that aren't great, they're, they're not very nice. Sometimes they're a little slanderous. They gossip a little bit, and um, they hold grudges. I mean, four? Four cautions? Like, whoa! The, the point is, John wants you to understand who we are dealing with. He's the devil. The, the name devil means slanderer. He's Satan. The name means adversary or accuser. And he's described as the deceiver of the world. So he's the ancient serpent, meaning he's connected all the way to the original temptation in the garden. And he's also the great deceiver of the world. This here is, listen, here is the fourfold strategy of the devil. To tempt, to slander, to accuse, and to deceive. Hear me, slowly. You need this for next week. To tempt, to slander, to accuse, and to deceive. And not only deceive you, but to deceive the whole world. So it's, it's not only in the intensity of the devil's activity, but it's also the scope of it. The battle, church, is raging everywhere. In other words, every single one of us this week dealt with some element of demonic temptation, slander, accusation, and deception. Again, every single one of us dealt with demonic temptation and slander and accusation and deception. And part of what I want you to see is the scope and the seriousness of that issue. The cosmic battle is raging everywhere and it's important to see it for what it is. It's important to see it as a part of our common, regular, difficult struggle. You are not just trying to live your life. Christian, you are trying to survive the battle. And some of us need to change our mindsets. You're not just trying to live, you're trying to survive the battle. And with that comes a different mindset. And again, I wanna lovingly caution some of you because you're just floating along and you're forgetting who you're dealing with or what you're really dealing with. Nancy Guthrie says this, Satan's focus turns from devouring Jesus towards devouring Jesus' people. He has declared war on all who have joined to Christ by faith. And if that's you, you are on his hit list. 
The devil is out to destroy you. He wants to fill you with doubts about the reliability of the Bible and the work of Christ. He wants to turn things upside down so that what is evil will appear good and right and what is holy and just will appear outdated, irrelevant, and ridiculous. And if that doesn't work, he just simply wants to deaden you to the things of God so that you will simply drift away. Oh, church, this should make us tremble a bit. The reason why this is in the Bible is so that John's readers, his hearers, the letters that are gonna be sent out, that they'll understand this is what's happening. We're not just dealing with opposition and and political uh, difficulties and slander from our neighbors and opposition in the marketplace. Like all that's true, but he wants to pull it up a little higher level and to realize we're in a fight, a fight not physical. We're in a war and not with this world. And then we hear a beautiful song of victory. I heard a loud voice in heaven, verse 10, saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come to the accuser of our brothers, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Here it comes. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Can we clap for that for a moment, please? Now, what's interesting is this isn't a statement about future victory, not they will conquer. No, it's they have conquered. Because of all this talk of the battle, it might seem that John is worried about the outcome of the battle. He's not worried about the outcome of the battle. That's why Revelation is in your Bible. The outcome of the battle is already fixed. But the issue is, just because the battle is fixed doesn't mean that the present battle is easy. Just because we know the outcome doesn't mean that the present struggle isn't real. Notice the means by which they fight. It's not by their own strength, by their own perseverance, or by their own power. It is by the blood of the Lamb. And so verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Notice, rejoice, heavens, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Here again is the the tension The battle's already been decided. It's just a matter of time until it's over. That's why God's people are called to fight their battles with faith and endurance. We we need faith to believe what the Bible says about us and about the future and about Jesus and about the devil, and we need endurance. Endurance is merely applying faith. So how do you battle? What does it actually look like? It means that you read the scriptures because you know, I can't make it on my own out there. I can't, I can't do this. The battle is too real, the enemy too frightening and powerful. I can't walk out there in some kind of arrogant position like I got this. No, you walk out knowing the only way I win is because of the blood of the lamb. So I gotta study who Jesus is and understand what it's like. I gotta incorporate the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit within me because I'm going out not just to live my life, not just to pursue the American dream. I'm a Christian in a broken world that is owned by the devil. He hates me. He hates my family, and I gotta go and wage this warfare and then go to bed, start it all over, and do it again until Jesus comes. Yeah. 
There's the nature, there's the battle, finally there's a deliverance. When the dragon saw, verse 13, that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But notice, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. So she sprouts wings. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is unbelievable. And she, she flies away. And this is connected to Exodus 19, where God describes his deliverance of his people as this, quote, I bore you up on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Or, I love this, Isaiah 40, they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like what? Eagles, there it is. So the woman is being delivered. God is helping her. She flies away from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and time and a half and a half. And the serpent, notice, changes his strategy. He pours out water like a great river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. So he changes his strategy. You know, the devil is very creative. And yet, the earth, verse 16, in an act of divine providence, the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon, verse 17, became furious with the woman. Why? Because everything he's trying isn't working to the extent that he would want it to work and he went off to make war. And here it comes. This is John's marker for those of us who aren't the woman specifically, but are connected to the woman, connected to the plan of God, the people of God, Israel, Mary, the birth of Jesus. It says he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. The rest of her offspring. That is us. On those, here's the statement, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. There's the description. Notice the description of faithfulness there. And then, interesting enough, our text ends with this statement. And he, meaning Satan, stood on the sand of the sea. A seven-headed red dragon standing on the sand of the sea. He's tried to catch the woman. She flees away. He pours out water. The earth swallows it. Commentators suggest it's a picture of the devil strategizing. What's next? And the next chapter, we're gonna see two beasts that emerge out of the sea that become a more subtle but equally dangerous pair of foes to assault the people of God. In order to learn about that, you need to come back next week. Two implications of this text. Last week we talked about this theme of impact and I want to return to the two questions or the two themes by way of application that I gave to you. How does this text relate to renewal? What's the one step of renewal that you need to take? And risk. What's the one step of mission-oriented risk? First, renewal. 
This text shows us that there is a battle raging behind the scenes. And it's a battle for your soul. It's a battle for your attention. I was reading in a book or listening to a book this week and I was stunned with the number of times that the author mentioned the way in which, you know, we're talking about think with technology, the way that technology is commercializing our attention. There's a monetization of your attention, but listen to me, it's not just the monetization of your attention, it's also framing how you see the world and your identity and everything in the world. And that's been true since the very beginning of time. And just here's my encouragement to you. What are you doing to renew your soul because you are not in a safe world as it relates to your soul? The Apostle Paul said we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So let me encourage you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the power of the risen Christ, Christian, within you. You have the inspired word of God. You have other believers around you to help cheer you on and tell you, keep going, keep going, keep going. But the one thing that you can do to gut those resources is not take those resources seriously because you don't value your own renewal. Don't read your Bible out of guilt. Read it because you know there's a cosmic battle. Secondly, risk. This text shows us God's ability to help his people advance the kingdom such that we don't need to give in to fear or faithlessness. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers all around the world. And after you have suffered a little while, listen to this, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever, amen. I just wanna to speak to a couple of you who are really walking face to face with the difficulties of this cosmic battle. The devil isn't going to win. He's not. And in the meantime, we need to be reminded that the way we win this cosmic battle is by living in Revelation 12, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So I just wanna ask you a question. In a moment, we're gonna sing together. How many of you, I'm actually gonna ask you to stand. I want you to stand if in the last week you've sensed the battle with the devil. Anybody who's experienced that? 
it's a trick question. <laughs> Every Christian in the room should be standing right now. Thank you, you may have a seat. The point is, we may have many differences in life, we may live in different parts of the city, we may come from different backgrounds, but for those of us who know Christ, the common experience of us all, I just wanna remind you, the devil is after every single one of us, and yet, we can conquer him by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. I want you to bow your heads with me. Just a moment ago, I asked all of you to stand, and what I'd like for you to do now, and I'm not going to ask you to show your hand or do anything physical, but what I do want you to do is to think if there's an unusual level of battle going on. And I want you just to use this moment and I want you to use this song to confess again, I'm gonna overcome by the blood of the lamb. I am counting on God. I'm counting on you, God. And maybe, just maybe, for some of you, this, this message is just gonna help you this week be able to endure be able to walk faithfully. Maybe you came in with a weary, burdened heart, and God, by his spirit, right now, is helping you. You're gonna conquer him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So God, strengthen brothers and sisters today who need to be reminded about the nature of this cosmic battle and our hope that we have in our great overcomer. And we pray this in the name of our King, our Savior, our Lord and Master. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.